Passing Dimes is proud to welcome a new partner to the show, Momentum Pro Camps. Momentum Pro Camps runs volleyball camps across Ontario, bringing professional athletes, coaches, and resources to communities, clubs, and partners. Momentum's mission is to inspire and develop high performers for life, and they're doing just that. Unfortunately, because of the COVID-19 pandemic, Momentum has suspended all programming until permitted by local public health recommendations. However, they have developed incredible future programming for athletes to benefit from and are excited to share it with all of you when we can play again. Follow us on social media at Momentum Pro Camps for updates and details on future programs or email us at contact at MomentumProCamps.com. Stay excellent, friends. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Passing Times, or welcome to if this is your first one. And if it's your first one, it's going to be a good one. This guy's definitely had an influence in my volleyball career, and he's accomplished a lot. So he attended Dalhousie University, where he's a three-time first-team all-star. He was AUS MVP. He was an All-Canadian. He won a silver at CIS. He went on to play for Team Canada, where he represented us at the Pan Am Games, winning a bronze medal in Winnipeg. He's played several places in his professional career, including Belgium, Spain, Switzerland, Turkey, Portugal, and Holland. He later went on to be the OBA Technical Director. He's been on our Domestic Development Committee, and he's now the Executive Director of Volleyball Nova Scotia. Please welcome to the show, Jason Trepanier. Jason, thanks for doing this. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. So I'm going to try not to skip over things because you and I have known each other for a long time, but I want the fans to really know what you went through. So I'm just trying to understand... You grew up in that Ottawa area, but you ended up at Dalhousie. So in your era, were you playing club at a young age? Were you playing school ball at a young age? Like what got you hooked on volleyball? And then what started this recruiting thing that you wanted to leave the province? Well, I guess I started in grade nine. My neighbor put up, uh, I think it was a skipping rope between two trees. And he was passionate about volleyball and got me playing. And he uh, he and I were great friends and, and played all summer. Played hours over that uh, over that rope across two trees and then uh, then we played uh, school together and at the time there, there i think it's still the same there isn't a university volleyball program in ottawa and a lot of the the ottawa volleyball players for whatever reason found their way to to dal and uh when when it came my turn to go to university it was just seemed like that's where all the other ottawa players went so that's where i went yeah, not just Ottawa. I feel like a lot of uh, out-of-province people have been at Dalhousie. Like, do you remember your first year on the squad? How many like true Nova Scotia residents were there versus like out-of-province athletes? Uh, I think there there would have been three or four Nova Scotia, and probably seven or eight would have been from Ontario, and there would there'd be a a player or two from PEI or maybe Newfoundland in there. Nice. Yeah, and- we would play. We'd play soccer or, or uh, kind of dodgeball to to begin practice, and it would often be Ottawa against anybody else. <laughs> nice, nice. And what can you tell us about Dalhousie at that time? Because the AUS hasn't always had a lot of teams, but the squads you were on were always competitive at a national level. So, what were some things that Coach Scott would do to kind of make sure that you guys were ready and CIS was going to be the goal versus like the league being the goal? Yeah, I guess I guess winning the league was always kind of an expectation, and we talked about doing well at nationals uh, a lot. And I give I give Al credit. Like Al Scott was the coach here, and and he he always had kind of big dreams and and, and big ideas for us. And he built the program up really really well. By the time I got there, they had won a, a bronze medal at nationals the year before I got there, and there were a lot of uh, older players that 
that had a lot of experience and expected to win. And that was something that I wasn't really used to. I coming from high school and just kind of playing for fun and, and, and trying real hard to, to, to playing with, with people that are almost men and, and very competitive. And I think that's what Al brought is, is the sense that you can win and you, and there's no reason you shouldn't. And, and that's what we expect you to do. Uh, and, and we, we practiced really hard. I think uh, he also, the weight room was right beside the volleyball court. And, and when I got there, there were the, the, the veterans or the, the older guys on the team would always be lifting weights. And that was just something that, that was expected of you. And, uh, and we did that. And I think that gave us uh, an advantage over a lot of teams that, that maybe did lift weights, but, but not nearly as, as much as us. And I think we always felt like we deserved to win a little bit more because we, we put more time in the, in the gym. I was also a very detail-oriented guy. So he, we would have very thought-through game plans, I think, far far more detailed than, than other programs would. And, and he expected everything to be done to a, a certain level. I remember uh, we lost, a, we would have lost a game to, to a team. Maybe Al didn't think we should have. And the reason we lost was because our bags weren't lined up properly behind the bench. So those are the types of things that if you can't put your bag in a straight line behind the bench, then how are you supposed to be in the right spot of defense? That's kind of his, was his attitude. And I respect him a lot for that. And people might think it was a little too much, but, he, uh, he he didn't he didn't cut any corners and no stone was was left unturned with him. Nice, nice, and it's great to hear you describe this. That maybe when you arrived on campus, you didn't identify as like a national team level volleyball player. So when did that switch for you that you you could play at the next level or that you could play professional? Was it going against guys like Terry Martin and drills, or what kind of convinced you that you could play at the next level? Or maybe did you have those goals at Dow? You just didn't know what those expectations were at the time. <laughs> That's- Good question. When you said that, my the first time I actually thought that maybe I could make the national team, I was actually talking to Jeff Chung's dad, and it was at a club tournament. I might have been in grade twelve, and he looked at me and he said, "You have a national team arm, but your feet are very slow." <laughs> and and I remember thinking, "Oh, I got you know, I could hit hard," and that was kind of my identity as a, as a player. Then was somebody that could hit hard, but not do very much else. And I thought, oh, I have a national team arm. So they kind of felt like I had this kind of bionic superpower a little bit that, that he had given me that day. And uh, and then I remember when I got to Dal, and you mentioned Terry Martin. We were both not very good at the time. Neither of us were recruited. I'd say we very we were very slimly recruited if we were recruited at all in Ontario. And that was probably another reason we ended up at, uh, at Dow. He was, he was a very raw player. He wasn't very strong. He, he didn't really understand the game. I don't think he was quite as tall as he ended up being or nearly as physical or be able to jump very high. And, uh, and he and I being rookies together, uh, would often talk about how big of a mistake we made coming all the way out to Halifax and leaving all our friends behind just to try out for a volleyball team that we're going to get cut. <laughs> and uh, so we ended up making the team, I guess, that year, which was a, a great thing. And, and he went on to win uh, the CIS Rookie of the Year. And uh, I, I think that was, I think he would admit it too. I don't think he was, well, maybe he was the best rookie, but he was the, certainly a, a rookie playing on on the, the top, one of the top teams. I think we finished third in Canada that year. He might have been the only rookie starting on a kind of top four or five team. And it wasn't until his second or third year that he got really good. And, uh, and I didn't think, uh, I didn't, I didn't think that year that I had any chance of making the national team. That's for sure. But I remember at the end of the year, 
Al Scott asked me if I wanted to try out for the B team, and I said definitely. And uh, and between Dal and and volleyball Nova Scotia, they paid my way to uh, a tryout that I think was in Calgary, and it was there. So I tried out as the right side, and I remember you know I was up against uh, Van Heusen and Jules Martins and all these guys that are are very big and very physical, far more than I am. And it was at that tryout where I realized I had to learn how to pass, and if I had any hope of, of making the team. So I came back to Dal that, that summer and told Dal that uh, I wanted to play left side and I wanted to pass a lot. And uh, and I was terrible at it. And I, I think he thought it was a bit skeptical, but happy that I was willing to try. And uh, and I think that, that year, so I'm kind of rambling on a little bit, but that year we had lost a little, a lot of our uh, left side players to injury. And Al did this formation where I, passed out of the middle of the court in every rotation because we either had a, a first year right side or a, a middle passing kind of on the other side. We did this three three man passing thing all the time. And and so I passed probably 50% of the balls that uh, that were served that year and slowly got a little better and better at it. And kind of by my third year I was I was probably just as good as anybody on our team and 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 maybe a, a notch below the, the better passers in Canada, but not far off. And it was at that point I started thinking, you know, if I get a little better at this, maybe I'll maybe I'll have a chance because I could hit really well. I just couldn't. I didn't have the other pieces of the game. Nice. And did the the level of U Sports or CIS at that time did that really help confirm that you could play at the next level? Like it's really cool to hear you talk about you working on skills and identifying things. But I think playing against Dan Lewis and some other guys at nationals and you guys doing well and obviously you know making it to semis or, or being in the finals. Did that help confirm that you could play on the national team? Because I think your era was quite strong, but the national team was still doing open tryouts at that time. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I think uh, open tryouts. I guess if you, I think if you were kind of the top top forty player in Canada, maybe you got to try out. Uh, yeah, like when I, I think the CIS was very strong. There was guys like uh, Murray Grappentine and Dan Lewis and and Ken Cron and Jules Marklin. Manitoba was an incredible team. And Laval had an incredible team, and when I would watch those guys, I would think, "Oh my God! Imagine if I was." If I, I thought, "Oh my God! I'll never be as good as these guys." Like Dan Lewis, to watch Dan Lewis when he was 19 or 20 play as a university student, he was dominant. He could do everything, and he was an amazing player. And and uh, and, and I I kind of thought that level of, of talent was was unachievable, and I don't think I ever got as 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 good as that. But. Uh, the one thing that, uh, that that happens, and I think it happens quite a bit, is is you find these moments in matches where where you don't you're not the better team, but for whatever reason you've you've won more points that day, and you get close to to winning a match, or you do win a match that, that against a team that's better than you, or against a player that's better than you, and uh, and you win, and so that I think that happens quite a bit in volleyball, maybe not quite a bit, but but every once in a while, the the weaker team wins and. And you kind of gives you a little bit of a, a boost of confidence, and and you go back and work a little harder, and then you come back, and and then all of a sudden you belong in that category. Nice, yeah, well said. So skipping ahead to your national team days, who was in charge? Was that a Stelio era, or who would have been the coach when you get on the squad and you're looking around at your peers? Like who who was the head coach? Because it wasn't Glenn at that time, right? Was it Stelio? No, it was Garth Pischke. And, and I kind of got onto the team in a, in a bit of a funny way. So 
I had uh, there was a tryout, and I had been cut after my first year of university. I had been cut for every D team and 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 a, I think a senior team before I went to this final tryout after my my fifth year of university, and uh, and I had a great tryout. Like, everything went well for me. I, I tried to serve hard, and, and most of the serves went in, and and I, I passed better than than I usually did, and and I, and I hit fairly well. And I, it was the first time that you you go into that meeting with the coach at the end of uh, end of the tryout. And think you know I'm going to get the I'm going to be happy at the end of this meeting, and uh, I went into the meeting with Garth, and uh, and he told me that he he liked what I did at the tryout, but that he uh, he didn't put my name on the World League roster and didn't expect me to play as well as I did at that tryout, and uh, and that they weren't going to have a B team that year, and and that uh, you know, he's real sorry, but uh, there's not a place for me on the team. So that was crushing. That was my fifth year and, and kind of my fifth time being cut. And I, I remember getting on the airplane thinking that uh, as I went back home, thinking that that was the end of my my volleyball career. Because at the time, if you hadn't, if you didn't play national team, you weren't going to go and play in Europe. That just you needed national team on your on your resume to to get a job and or a contract in Europe. And I'm going to say about three or four weeks later, I got a, uh, an email from. Uh, I'm not sure. It might have been John Blatcher. He was, a, he was an administrator with Team Canada at the time, but he's the executive director of Volleyball Manitoba now. And he said that they were going to run a B team, uh, kind of surprisingly, because Canada had done so well at World League and they needed uh, a team to to go play in the, in the FISU games. So they, they kind of threw a bunch of the players that they'd cut in that tryout and, and we went to uh, Laval for a weekend and then went to Spain to play in the FISU games. And we didn't play well as a team there, but I think I played okay, and and uh, and Dustin Reed played okay, and, and both of us got to uh, got to go play on the A team after that, and uh, and that so that was my path. I didn't make it through a tryout. I, I made it through uh, just playing well at a at a random tournament that Canada wasn't uh, supposed to send a B team to. And it's kind of funny. I don't know if you uh, remember a guy named Keith Sandheim. He was one of the better uh, left sides on the team, and he'd been on the national team for about ten years. And I remember getting to Winnipeg, and I, I we went to practice. I went straight from the airport to practice, and we practiced. And right after practice, we showered up, and we were Pan Am Games was going to start the next day. And they took us to the Athletes Village, and they gave me a suitcase full of Team Canada clothing, all the nice root stuff that you get at the Olympics. It was amazing, and. Keith Sandheim didn't, I don't even think he knew my last name and I'd gone to one practice and I get all this gear and he said, you know what, kid, I've been playing on this team for 10 years and I've only gotten a few t-shirts. Here you show up for one practice and they give you a suitcase full of the nicest stuff you'll ever have. Oh, that's amazing. Thank you for sharing that one. So uh, I am curious, you mentioned FISU came together kind of last minute, so maybe it didn't feel special going to a multi-sport games like that and, and you guys didn't compete at the level you did, but Curious, when you get to represent Canada on home soil, which is really, really special, obviously it gets to happen a little bit more now with uh, Nations League, but at that time with Pan Am Games and representing in Winnipeg, did your family come? Was it a big deal to the squad? Like, How did it feel going into that event and competing as well as Canada did at that one? Yeah, that's funny. I, it's something I, I dreamed and dreamed and dreamed about playing for Team Canada. And I think I took it... I. I probably could have shown a little more discipline. I remember the opening ceremonies for uh, for FISU Games, 
And there was a bit of a delay for the athletes to go into the stadium when you do that little kind of tour and you, and you wave to everybody. And they started playing some samba music and all the Brazilians kind of went down and started dancing. And I went and grabbed a Canadian flag and did the same thing. And, and uh, I think like serious athletes, I remember Anne Momenier was a diver at the time. And uh, she'd been a, I think she'd been to the Olympics and she had her game face on the whole time. And, and I, I was kind of like a little kid in the candy store and, and probably took my eye off the kind of the discipline and focus you need to, to, to play well all the time. And, and I guess when I, when we got to Pan Am games, I was just, I was so awestruck because I'm playing against all these guys that I've watched on television so much and, and thought were, were, were incredible. Like I, you know, I knew Paul Durden a little bit. Uh, we, he, he's the same age as me. So we played against each other in club and, and it's one thing to see him. I, I knew he was pretty incredible and, and, uh, I felt like he was a superstar, but then there's on there was uh, Marcos Milinkovic. If you remember that guy from uh, from Argentina, he would have been one of the best players in the world. Uh, Brazil had Nalbert and Giba, and and uh, that uh, I think his name was Rodrigo on the on the right. Like they had all the the players that are are in the Olympics, and here I am, like two weeks of being on the national team, and and. Playing there, there was no kind of stepping stone to, to get there. You're just playing the, the biggest names in, in volleyball that uh, that I knew. So I was I was just kind of awestruck the whole time. I find it wasn't uh, I, I needed to be uh, to be brought in a little slower. I think. Nice, yeah, and and just continuing on your timeline. Now that you had senior A team experience with their national team, is that what got you your first pro contract? Or uh, I'm just curious by doing the show and learning that uh, everyone kind of has a unique story how they get a pro contract. It's not as simple as, say, like a North American sport where you get drafted and you go into the system and you make the big team. Volleyball is a little bit different where everyone kind of has a unique landing spot. So with your situation, did you go agent and club or did the club see you playing at any event and identify you there? Or, or how did you get your, your first pro deal? Uh, so I'm going to say this is what happened, and this is it's kind of a funny thing. So they, I got to go to World Cup, and much like the way I got to play in Pan Am Games was a bit of a fluke, I got to play in the, in, in World Cup in Japan on a bit of a fluke. Uh, in, in that Ross Ballard, who was, was an amazing uh, left side for Canada at the time, couldn't get released from his club, and... And, uh, and I got to go in, in his place. So I didn't even fly over with the team. I flew after and, and ended up at this tournament where, much like Pan Am Games, it's all the, you know, the Lorenzo Bernardis and, and the, the megastars at the time. And I guess I hit a ball in warm-up, and some photographer had taken a picture from the rafters and kind of it was kind of on a down angle. And the picture made it look like I was jumping about 70 inches and was about to to hit one of the bigger balls ever hit, and and this picture made it on made it onto uh, actually made it on somebody sent me a picture they were in China and it made it onto a, a phone card. You know how you used to get when you buy the bought a cell phone in like two thousand or nineteen ninety nine, they'd give you almost like a gift card kind of thing, yeah. and you t- type in. The, my picture was on that that card. And, and when I got to my first contract, back to the, why I'm telling this story, my first contract was in Belgium. And I remember when I, I got off the plane and went to the gym, 
the the coach had showed me shown me a picture or that picture and said we're really looking forward to seeing how you hit the ball and they showed me that picture so I, I did have an agent but i think it was that picture that got me the first contract that uh, that i had in in belgium and uh in belgium i gotta say was a, a huge awakening for me i i had thought that I, I must be a pretty good player because i'm you know borderline national team player in canada and i'd never heard of belgium's or belgian volleyball but uh, i played on the, the sixth ranked team in belgium and they had two other left sides that were were just as good as i was and every team we played, whether it would be the, the fourth best team or the 10th best team, had good players. And I started to realize that this world is just packed full of players that know what they're doing and have played a lot and uh, that it was going to be a grind for me. Uh, I, I remember it was, a, it, was a, it was a hard hit on my confidence. I remember talking to, I don't remember Andy Zorowski. He had uh, he played on the national team at the same time, and, and he had struggled his first year in Europe as well. And he said that for a time he forgot how to pass a free ball. And he was a left side player on the on the national team, and quite a decent passer. But uh, he said that his confidence had just dropped. That was, was too much pressure for him, and there there's just too many good players, and not the same kind of friend and family support that you have around. And and uh, and he struggled. I guess I struggled probably in the same way in Belgium. And it took. Uh, probably another year to to kind of regain some confidence and and, and figure out how you can kind of belong yeah, everybody has a different path I'll, I'll agree with that yeah i just find pro volleyball super interesting where we recently had dustin snyder on the show and he was mentioning that sometimes like even the coach and manager aren't on the same page and like player recruitment and player id that he was on teams that didn't really understand his style or he didn't really fit the offense so uh, i'm curious when you're going through your professional career how did you feel in terms of like the coaching you were getting or the systems or how player identification happens? Like, did you find that clubs that identified you and wanted you that you fit their system or did you ever show up somewhere and be like, man, I'm just not a, a fit here. There's so many good players and I don't play this style or, or how did you start to go through different clubs and different coaching styles and really settle in and feel like you, you belonged and you could contribute as this foreigner player? Cause I think there's a lot of expectations for foreigners to do well. Right. But sometimes it's just not a fit. Yeah, I guess uh, I think as a setter is probably a little different. Like I was a left side, and I, I probably was more of a P two as a as a professional in, in Europe. They'd, they'd always have uh, that was that was back when it's kind of interesting how volleyballs evolved. Like now, you both left sides kind of need to be skilled players, but at the time there would be one that would pass a lot, and and another that would just kind of stand near the sideline and just pass the balls that went to him, but was a big hitter. So he almost had two kind of right-side Gronky players, and one would play on the left. And uh, I think a couple of the teams that I went to maybe thought that I should be one of the the Gronkier players, and that just kind of wasn't wasn't what I was, was able to do at that level. Like, I was a really good uh, university hitter, but at the, I, I, in, in, in the pro leagues, I, I wasn't, uh, wasn't able to be nearly as effective. So I... I guess in that regard, maybe I wanted to, and I, I, I identified as the kind of steady passing guy that's not going to lose any matches. And, and maybe sometimes I got I got signed to teams where people had expectations that uh, I'd be a little better hitter and, and and contribute more there. I could see I could see Dustin's problem when he's going to set really fast and not all the players can hit fastballs, and it's a it's an issue. That actually happens a fair bit. I, 
was that uh, who was that Brazilian setter? Maybe 15 years ago or 10 years ago, that was wasn't a, he was he started and he was just the fastest setter. Remember when they they Brazil came to play in uh, in Toronto? I do, yeah, and he was a little bit undersized, but man, he could sling it. And I remember he went to Italy one year and he didn't play because nobody could hit him. He needed all his Brazilian left sides and right sides, and and there was that left side from uh, Brazil that wasn't very big. He was left-handed, and he could just kind of cut the ball off all the time. I guess my point is, I guess I think that happens a lot with setters, but maybe not so much with other players, other positions. I'm just curious, looking at your pro experience, is there a league that stands out that you just really enjoyed your time? Whether it was the level of the league, the the city you were in, the country you're in, like having the experience you do of playing in all these countries, like what when you look back at your career, what was like a really enjoyable season for you? Uh, I think uh, Turkey and Portugal. Oh, for different reasons. I, I, I met some great friends in, uh, in Spain that, uh, that I'm still, I, I still, I'm still in contact with and, and I, I follow kind of their families and, and, and their lives. And from a friendship perspective, maybe Spain was, was, was one of the, one of my the top places. I also loved, uh, I played in Istanbul and I loved it there. We lived in a, in kind of a nice suburb of Istanbul and, and, uh, it was kind of my first time playing in a place where I, I never really had to worry about money. Everything was quite cheap there. If you want to get in a cab and, and, and go for an hour, it's going to cost you 10 bucks. So I, you do that in Switzerland, it's going to cost you 400. Uh, so I, I, I kind of liked that. The city's super old and beautiful and there's, you feel like you're kind of on the edge of the earth in a lot of ways. And uh, so I, I, I love Turkey. Uh, the volleyball there is, was a very high level, and and I, I it was a, it was a grind to uh, and there were quite high expectations. It's kind of the first time in my volleyball career I got to say where uh, like they grade all the players at the end of matches, and and all that goes on the internet. So you, you'd play well and you you know want to check how they graded you and you get your kind of four stars or three stars or whatever, or you can play bad and you get the one star and like everybody in town kind of knows that you you didn't play well that. Uh, <laughs> And that was kind of weird for me. Uh, I, I remember, like a lot of the times when uh, you know the university reporter goes to to talk to you, they just want to kind of portray you in a in a positive light. And I don't think there was a ton of media around any of the other teams I've played on, but uh, but in Turkey there was, and, and uh, there's a lot a lot of good players there. There's so many Russians there that are are just undersized to play in the Russian league or at the time. And, but very, very skilled players. And uh, just there's, I have such an appreciation for how many good players the, the, the big volleyball nations produce, like Russia and Brazil. I played with some incredible Brazilian players that could never sniff the national team. They're way better than me. And I would say, you know, have you ever, have you ever tried out for the national team? And they'd say, no, I'm, that, that's, that's, that's pretty far from, from where I'm, I'm at. I'm thinking hey, you're way better than I am. Wow. And, and just to continue on your timeline here, did the OVA job come up and that's what pulled you away from your pro career or you had kind of made a decision that uh, you were done playing and you were going to move on and find a career? Like, What was the, the timing of that decision when you decided to come back home and, and give up playing and move into like an administrative role? So I guess, I guess like I mentioned, Mr. Chung had told me that I had the national team arm. And I think when I was kind of 24, 25, I started to develop some tendonitis in my arm and needed uh, to, to do a, a, a 
few more minutes of warm up to kind of get my arm ready. And then by the time I was 30, it took, I'd show up to practice a half an hour early and just kind of make sure my arm was ready to, to hit some balls. And after practice, it felt a lot more painful. And, uh, and I remember being 32 in, in Holland and I played probably, I don't know, five to seven matches as the Libro there. And just because I, I couldn't hit the same way, and I, was, I was a decent passer and, and defender and kind of wondered if, if this is kind of how I, if I was going to continue to play, if, I, if, if playing Libro was the way to go. And that summer, I didn't get a contract offer that, uh, that was anything that I, I kind of wanted that wouldn't have been a big step backwards. And I'd bet my wife, and I remember I still kind of into, into the late fall wanted to to play as a as a professional, and I got a, a contract offer from a club in Bahrain. Uh, so I, and I knew that there was some decent volleyball in the Middle East, but that that was kind of where you know the that was kind of the glue factory for for the old horses kind of thing. And I remember saying to my my girlfriend who's now my wife that hey I got this contract offer in Bahrain what do you think and kind of the look on her face was kind of like well aren't you aren't you gonna kind of stay with me and, and we were living in Toronto at the time and and kind of I remember looking at her face and kind of her reaction and then she did her best to kind of say oh that's great Jason but I kind of knew that uh, it was time for me to grow up and and uh, get a real job and so I said no to that contract told uh Told my agent that uh, that I was I was I was hanging them up, and uh, I remember uh, Mark Riley was running a lot of volleyball clinics around Toronto, and uh, so I started coaching anywhere I could, and and uh, I coached a little bit with uh, with different clubs here and there, and then this would have been a little bit before your time, uh, Josh, at the at the Ontario Volleyball Association, but they had this program called the Performance Enhancement Program with the Canadian Sports Institute there. And it was kind of like uh, you'd be the coach for the Ontario Volleyball Association and maybe handle, uh, so I think I was meant to, to coach the high-performance athletes there, and, and I got a job. Uh, that was my first job. And I, uh, Dustin Reed would have been the technical director there at the time, and, and so I did that for about a, a year. I really enjoyed that. We ran a lot of programs at uh, at Beach Blast. You know, Shermers were, were nice enough to to give us Sunday nights there, and and uh, I remember we found we I don't know if you I I think that these this year was a really important year for beach volleyball in Canada because we started taking a lot of the good indoor players and asking them if they wanted to play beach volleyball, and that's where Shane, Sam Schachter and, and Dan Deering kind of joined the Garrett Mays and. And uh, Melissa Humana Paredes came out, and, and uh, there was a bunch of uh, of kids that uh, were kind of nobodies at the time, but ended up doing some some pretty amazing things and and, and having great careers. And that was kind of the start of uh, of what ended up being a, a pretty amazing beach volleyball provincial team program. And, and, and what beach volleyball has become in Toronto now is, is a pretty amazing thing. And not to say that that that, that started off because Mark Keese and John Childs and, and Conrad and Jody had been been doing their thing for, for quite a while before that and deserve a ton of credit for for bringing exposure to it. I think that was the 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 first introduction of the beach volleyball provincial team and and I, I look back at those days and, and uh, I'm, I'm 
Um, there's been a lot of fond memories meeting those kids. I remember like Sam Schachter's a big deal beach volleyball player now, but he didn't have a, a ton of confidence, I don't think, at the time. And and, and watching him develop is is uh, and watching it to him turn into the player that he is now, which is, is pretty incredible. It's, it's it's a great thing to see. Yeah, definitely. And I love how you say in those days, but I think that was like 2007, 8, 9. It doesn't, it doesn't feel that long ago, but maybe to some of our listeners, they're going, oh yeah, like I, I kind of remember that. But uh, one thing that I thought worked out really well for you is Canadian sport had changed direction there and LTAD was going to be a big thing. And I thought you had a genuine interest in that or a passion where it wasn't just something that was like given to you and said like, Hey, we need to change our, if we're going to get funding, we have to do LTAD. Like it seemed like it was something that interests you a little bit. Is that fair to say? Cause I, I think when you had this OVA gig, that was the first time that youth sports had to change to LTAD, right? Yeah. Well, I think, you know, I saw, I saw a lot of myself in, I think everybody maybe does a lot of their own kind of career in LTAD and and I remember remember that uh, that old white kind of I don't know if you call it a binder a little booklet that uh, is about 40 pages that uh, was the LTAD manual we used to send them out to NCCP courses yeah I probably still have a copy in my den here yeah <laughs> yeah so I remember I remember uh, maybe Orostanko or or Dustin Reed had given, given me that to to read one day and this was before I was I was I was at Ontario volleyball. And it was kind of the first time that I had thought that, uh, you know, maybe my, my, my career should have been handled a little differently or my club career could have been handled a little differently. Like I was the middle that got you know, shoved in the corner and subbed out when I got to the back row and, and didn't serve very much. So I, I identified with uh, some of the rule changes that, that we were trying to make there. And you know, I only played middle, so I never really got exposed to any of the other positions. And it was really until university when kind of, personnel of the team sort of forced me to so I, I thought a lot about that I was cut from Ontario's provincial team and rightly so and and uh, Brenda Willis everybody everybody kind of jokes that she cut uh, Paul Durden well she, she also cut me and I thought you know I went on to be on the national team too and maybe somebody could, could have identified that and and, and just understood that I, I kind of had a, a nice arm, but not a lot of skill, and I just needed a summer or two of uh, of skill work. And, and maybe if my my club coaches, who, who I think are all super great people and and, and very well meaning, but it was just kind of at the time that the goal for for club teams was to to do well at provincial championships, and to, the goal of tournaments was to kind of set yourself up so that you played well at provincials at the end of the year and. And, and not necessarily kind of looking at every player and, you know, how can we get this person ready to, to be a kind of well-rounded player that has lots of options. And, and so I, I, I love triple ball and, and that uh, everybody gets to play every position and kind of exposed to that. I think that's, that would have, that would have helped me a lot. I, I think of all the, the repetitions that I didn't get passing because I, I was a middle and it's not like I couldn't pass. As I demonstrated later that I could develop into one. I just couldn't pass at the time and or wasn't one of the top three or four passers on the team, so I didn't get any of the reps in practice. I, I think I, I guess my point here is I, I saw a lot of myself and what could have been, and, and maybe that's where some of the passion for, for implementing some of the, the things that uh, that LTAD kind of asked, asked the administrators to do and, and coaches to do at the time. 
and, and I, I have to say like to, like Dustin Reed and uh, and uh, uh, he was the the technical director before I was there, and he'd done most of the promotion with the with the or education with the with the coaches and. And I think him and Ed Drakic, who was the technical director of Volleyball Canada at the time, had 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 a lot of the kind of difficult time explaining it to people. And by the time I got there, it was just something we were going to do. And and it was kind of a, a outlined some clear priorities that, that we were going to make decisions based on. I came in a fortunate time. You, you say that, but then I remember being at the OVA in, I think, 09 and you were still taking arrows from people there. I think at the high level, you explained it to maybe a university coach or somebody who's played at a national team level. And the development system makes a lot of sense. But when Ontario installed triple ball, I don't remember it being a big hit with parent coaches, volunteer coaches, somebody who's coaching at the 14 level. So one thing that I always respected about you is you're very data driven that we actually did a study and discovered that, you know, at 14, you had like certain levels, I think the serve influenced like 70% of the points, whether it was an ace, a shank, or a miss serve. So they technically weren't playing volleyball, but even to get triple ball installed was still a battle with a lot of clubs. Like, do you look back at those days and think like you, you accomplished a lot, but there was like a tough season there to get everybody to buy in? That was a tough season, huh? You did so. You did a bunch of those stats with us, didn't you? It was, it was, it was me, you, and Larry Skelly, I think. Yeah, I think uh, so, yeah. Yeah, and I gotta say, you know, we did all those, we did all the, the the stats after we had implemented it, and we had kind of trusted Alberta, and and they they'd done it the year before, and I had talked to to Jim Blackus, who was their technical director at the time, and and he said it was a no brainer, and that was kind of enough for for me to to get behind it. But yeah, I remember the, there was a fair bit of pushback from from all the coaches, or not even not all the coaches, some of the coaches, and. Uh, I know not everybody loves data, but it was hard to argue with with some of the stats that that we were producing. Like I remember uh, being at one of the tournaments, and uh, a coach had told me that uh, that what we were, you know, what we triple wall wasn't uh, wasn't necessary. And we looked at the stats together, and the 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 setter on his team, or the guy in two, had never never volleyed the ball during serve receive. So in their serve receive, the the guy who was designated to be the setter in that uh, in that rotation never volleyed the ball. So we were playing a tight. So it's like you said, it's a lot of the the rallies were ending uh, with the serve, either it went in or 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 went out, or if it went in, it was an ace or it went out. So I think it's sixty or sixty five percent of the time that happens. But even when a rally does start. It's not like it's going to be a rally where they're building up a rally where there's a kind of to the net along the net volley spike. It's uh, which which I think is the the real beneficial thing with triple ball is it teaches these kids what volleyball what a rally should develop into and, and how to defend against that. I'm 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 very happy that 12 years later people people are still playing because I was I was worried that. Uh, there would be enough of a pushback to to revert back to kind of traditional or adult volleyball at that level. Friend of the show, Jeff Miller, started an amazing golf brand called Club Jason. Designed with quality in mind, Jason sets no limits on comfort, feel, and appeal. 
They are devoted to growing the game of golf and creating opportunities for those who could benefit greatly from a little extra support. 10% of all sales will go to a Club Jason scholarship for a female golfer. An additional 10% of all sales will go towards junior golf programs in Ontario. Club Jason wanted to pass on some savings to you, official friend of the show. Use promo code DIMES, that's D-I-M-E-S, at checkout to receive 15% off your order. Jason also offers free shipping in North America on any order over $99. Visit clubjason.com, that's C-L-U-B-J-S-O-N.com to check out their amazing clothing and to learn more. Jason, join the club. Now, one thing that I always found interesting with LTD is is other sports like where there's a goal and you're kind of invading that zone and, and like, I don't know, hockey can play smaller sided games or soccer. And I, I always like those sports that if somebody messes up, the game doesn't stop, right? Where volleyball, if somebody doesn't play the ball very well, the rally stops and we have to reset, right? So did you have any challenges as a technical director or somebody involved as like a provincial team coach trying to convince these new rules or how could we play? I don't know if smaller sided games is the right example or how you could build volleyball because volleyball is really hard for a young athlete where soccer, instead of playing 11 on 11, if they play five on five, bam, you got LTAD and the kids are getting more touches, but volleyball is not that simple. So did you find any solutions or did you try stuff that didn't work that you could maybe get younger people enjoying volleyball a little bit earlier? Well, I look back at to, uh, at, at how I introduced just to, um, before I started with, with Ontario volleyball or even in my first few days, or, or year or so with Ontario volleyball was was probably not the the greatest way to to introduce kids. Uh, but you look now, like have you uh, have you done smash ball? Uh, I've never done it, but I think the videos they have to promote it are really good, and it actually looks like a, a fun way to start volleyball with this, starting with attacking, right? Yeah, you just toss balls at the net, and kids go and hit it, and then you kind of start from there, and then. You kind of say, "Hey, kids! Like, I'm kind of t- tired of tossing this ball. How about uh, how about one of you toss the ball, and, and this is how we'll we'll kind of set it. And, and this is how you put your hands, and you just kind of throw it up, and somebody goes and hits the ball. So you're still kind of you're still just hitting, and the kids just love hitting. And you kind of build the rally backwards from there. Whereas, I, and you're not. I mean, you can get to kind of a, a two on two or four on four. But uh, I find the kids will spend a half an hour just hitting the ball over the net, loving it. And, and you throw in a, a kind of a to the net, along the net type of uh, adaptation where, where maybe they got a pass or set or, or do something like that. And all of a sudden, you're, you're, you're seeing them play volleyball and you haven't even really taught it. So I'm, I'm, I'm super impressed with that game. I, I love Atomic and Mini. I think those are, are, are really good programs too. But I'm uh, I'm sold on Smash Ball. I'll, I'll be doing that for any time. My kid's eight years old, and he's going to be in a Smash Ball program this uh, this winter, and, and I think he's going to love it. Now, we just had Frank St. Denis on the show, and it hasn't been released yet, so you wouldn't have had a chance to listen to it. But one thing I thought was amazing from his perspective is he thinks just coaches in any sport, we're really bad at talent identification. Like Whether you want to use like anecdotes like the Tom Brady situation or just drafts in any sport, that just as a whole – coaches are pretty bad. So one thing that the Mavericks have tried to do in Ottawa is just trying to cut less kids, try to get them into programs, try to do things. So I'm curious from your standpoint, as somebody who's been on committees, been a technical director and executive director, 
if LTAD is doing them the right thing, does that keep more people in the program and therefore make talent ID a little bit easier? Because I, I think Shafter is a great example, and I, I would hopefully be brave enough to say this to his face if, we're, if he were here right now. In 16U, he was a Tier 2 athlete. Like in 16U, you would have said Garrett May is uh, on the path to be an Olympian more than Sam Schachter. And here we are a few years later, and Sam Schachter is the Olympian and the best player in Canada, right? So with talent ID being so tricky, if these programs are in place or LTDs in place, does that make it easier? Because there's just so many more people in the pool to pick from? Yeah, I remember, uh, and this was, was again before I got to uh, I got to the OVA, but so provincial team programming, I'm going to say in 2006, maybe 2005 in Ontario, you, you had a tryout in May where you picked 12 kids and that was your provincial team. And they might have trained a couple weekends and, and, and then... Uh, joined up in July and gone off to NTCCs or what we call Canada Cup now and played. And I I think because of LTAD, they did, they started the high performance camp and they'd bring 48 kids on each gender and, and teach them how to play for a whole week and, and use that kind of skill development camp as also your, your, your selection for the provincial team. And I think what that did was gave a, a quite a large number of kids a, a, a pretty solid taste of what provincial team training was like, and, and you know, I, I hope it made uh, made selection a little a little easier. Although I know I'm, we made a, a ton of mistakes, uh, I'm I'm on the same page as Frank Saint Denis there. I think he's uh, he, he says a lot of very smart things, and, and that's that's definitely one of them. So yeah, you got you got to have a have a have a really wide base, and and that way you don't miss anybody. I think the national team does a pretty good job of that and provincial teams do a way better job of that nice and I, i'm curious just with your role with the domestic development committee if if it's not too private what are some conversations that happen there or what are people evaluating because i i think some coaches obviously they have a full-time job they're busy they're really just kind of narrow vision on their team and what they're going to do for their season and they might not be aware of some of the decisions happening or some of the conversations that do happen at, at these committee levels so I'm just curious, what are some things that you've you've been a part of or felt like were good conversations or good changes that you guys have made over the years? Well, I should have, maybe I should have corrected you at the beginning. So I'm, I, I was on the, the domestic development committee probably up until 2018, maybe two years ago, maybe three years ago. Uh, the conversations that we would have at that table were, were just more so about player development. How can we get... Uh, how can we kind of avoid the the player getting subbed out when he goes back to serve kind of consistently? And, and how can we make sure that people have uh, well-rounded kind of opportunities to develop all the skills and, and, and become players that, that we know need to, or have the skill that we skill base, I guess that we know they need when they, when they get to a university or a national team trial. I think that's very much the lens that, that, that committee that's been restructured a little bit like Glenn Hogue's on that committee. Now they, they kind of kept half of it. And, uh, there were a few people like myself and Chris Densmore that had gone from being technical people or coaches to more administrative that uh, they replaced us with people that are actually on the, on the volleyball court and, and seeing these things. So not sure how great an answer <laughs> I'm able to provide with that, but, no, no, all good. And again, with this being a, a volleyball-specific podcast, just your role as an executive director, if you could just provide a lens there, because you've obviously accomplished a lot with Volleyball Nova Scotia, but 
one thing that I thought was pretty cool was you guys bid and won the right to host uh, the Olympic qualifier for sitting volleyball. And I'm just curious if you could share what goes into that logistically, because I think it's great for the players to play at home and have that sense of, of home court advantage in Canada. But there's a lot of behind the scenes that must go into an event like that. Yeah, I remember I was, it would have been uh, uh, maybe November or October of last year. And uh, Kerry McDonald, who was the high performance director, and he, he has a lot of hats at Volleyball Canada, but gave me a call and asked if there was a facility in Halifax that could host this qualifier because Canada was had a chance at hosting and, uh, and they were having a little trouble finding a, a place to play. And, and it just so happens that there's this brand new building here. And I, I called, called them and they were available and kind of worked out the details about the facility, which is kind of the, the first thing you got to knock off the checklist. And then from there, there's this whole whirlwind of you know, where is Finland going to stay and when are they coming and when are they practicing? And there's all these, uh, this was a little new to me. There's there were all these people from from Africa and Asia and South America that come, and their their roles are are a little bit unclear. They're you know, they're part of World Parabolic, uh, and they they wear blazers and and ties to the match. That they just kind of sit at a special desk, and so you got to make sure that they're taken care of. Uh, so those were all the kind of things that I was a little worried about. And there's. Uh, the Volleyball Canada was great to work with. Uh, everything fell into place. To be honest, it was the best event that I've ever been involved in. Uh, it, was, it was truly one of those events where everything fell into place. We, uh, we had our, our, uh, our DJ, kind of, we had trouble finding a DJ, so one of our staff here, John Elliott, just took on the role of, of DJ, and he'd never done it before, and, and announcer. And, uh, and he did an amazing job announcing and would really get into the into the match. And when Canada won at the end, there was maybe fifteen hundred or two thousand people that, and a lot of them not from the volleyball community. Like the the wider community really kind of supported this event, and and the place really went crazy for a for a volleyball event. And I don't think any or many of the people watching even knew what sitting volleyball was a week before the event happened. But it was it was kind of the buzz in town that week. And uh, I was just super proud of how it all went, and, and Canada winning was the kind of icing on the cake. Nice, nice. And and one other thing I have on my list to talk to you about, because I don't think you would ever take credit, but as somebody who witnessed this happening, that cue reading and decision making and coaching is the language. And I think Volleyball Canada has done a great job with the coaching portfolio and changing up the coach education. But I feel like, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, that you were big supporter of John Kessel and I think that's really where the conversations may have started as far as Volleyball Canada switching to this language so I'm just curious how did that friendship grow and what did you really learn from what he's doing with USA Volleyball that you could help kind of bring to Canada and get people involved and get it into our coaching curriculum? Well I remember one day uh, Christine Drakich had sent me an article that Carl McGowan and Steve Bain had written um, about game-like drills and at the time I was very much a coach I'm embarrassed to say that would kind of break everything down and my practices didn't look a lot like volleyball and I was very technically focused and after reading that I, I kind of started to question a lot of the things that I had been doing and you were there when we hosted that uh, when John came right you would have been at the Ontario Volleyball Association then 
Yeah, yeah, like the big symposium, and there was a few speakers. Yeah. yeah. And and so I was the guy that got sent to the airport to pick John up, and you know, I brought him back to his hotel room, and I was fully prepared to to go home at that point. And he said, uh, so "Where are we going for dinner?" And so I took him to dinner, and then he asked me what time we were meeting for breakfast, and and I think he got to Toronto a day or so before the the conference. So I got to spend a lot of time with him and, and, and uh, I, I thought we, we hit it off and, uh, and that kind of was kind of the beginning of a friendship and, and we, we share a few emails here and there and uh, I kind of follow him along and, and listen to, to his, uh, or read his blogs. And he, he really opened my eyes to, to what coaching could be. And I think from, you know, James Snedden at Volleyball Canada, who was the domestic uh, development director at the time, I think was also a, a big fan. And, and, and Carrie McDonald, who has a fair bit of influence as a Volleyball Canada staff member. And all, all, it's hard to disagree with a lot of the stuff that, uh, that John said. So I think that maybe that's kind of how uh, any influence that John Kessel had uh, had in Ontario or or, uh, or or volleyball Canada. And I think he had a big impact on everybody that went to that coaching conference that day, wouldn't you say? Yeah, for sure. I, I find myself still using the phrase of the game teaches the game, right? And really focusing on that game like system versus you know block training really gets a bad rap. But I feel like it's it's revisionist history at, at this point where I think anyone who was coaching before that conference definitely did block training at some point and thought it was working and thought it was valuable. So uh, I'm curious. In your role, you you are available to all this theory. Is it important for you to try it before you really believe in it? Because I always find myself where I'll read a cool article and then I'll try it in the gym. I'm kind of like, well, maybe this isn't for me. And I'm wondering, have you had a similar situation? Or how do you find like these light bulb moments happen where you read something from Carl McGowan or John Kessel or another coach you respect and and you you think it's really cool, but maybe it doesn't work for you in that moment? Uh, I, I think I'm highly influenceable and I tend to, to just believe things and uh, it is probably a fault of mine. Like, I remember uh, somebody at, at US, USA Volleyball had come up with the ideal speed for a volleyball to float at. It's like 58 kilometers an hour. And so if you served harder than that, you weren't getting the, the maximum amount of float. So everybody was trying to serve 58 kilometers an hour, something like that. I had told that story to a friend of mine who was a, a biomechanics professor at St. FX. Got access to a wind tunnel. And so he tested that theory and said that the, the faster you hit a float surf, the more it'll float. So the, this 58 kilometers is... He couldn't understand who came up with it or, or, or why it was a thing. And I couldn't find any, any research on it. So that taught me that maybe when I hear these things, I should ask some questions instead of going out and believe them. But I still, uh, I still if John Kessel says something, I, I tend to believe it. So is that maybe the, the deal breaker for a lot of coaches is they should educate and they should be trying new things, but you really have to have a sense that you just can't be a copycat, right? Like when we had Dave Preston on the show, I talked about, man, does McMaster run a really fast pipe, but maybe that's not going to work for my high school team or my 16U team, right? So I think it's it's important to be a fan and be open to new information, but I think sometimes you just have to understand where your level is or what's going to work for you, right? Yeah, and I think every coach kind of has something that they're about. 
you know, like, uh, I, I look at, uh, I, I think a lot about this as, as being a part of volleyball Nova Scotia is if, if we want to do well at a national tournament, we can't play like everybody else. We've got to do something a little bit different and we've got to take risks where other people aren't willing to make, to take risks because if we just go and play the same volleyball that everybody else is playing, they got more people and, and, and it's just not going to, it's not going to match up. But if, if we do something a little different then maybe we've got a chance. So I, I, I think we're, we, we would be risk takers here where other people might not be risk takers. So I, I think, uh, to, to go back to your, uh, your, your, your question, like everybody kind of has a, a sense of, of who they are as a coach and what they, what's important to them. And I think they, they take what kind of agrees with, with their philosophies and, and goes with it. But, uh, I guess having said that, it's important, I guess, to have an open mind and kind of question what you're doing all the time. Now, with you being a Dell guy, obviously you're familiar with Nova Scotia and kind of the system there, but working for the OBA and then making the switch to Nova Scotia, what really excited you about that position? Because like you said, it is different, like the, the population, the even the length of season. Like there's a lot of little details that were different that you couldn't just come in and say, here's my OVA binder and here's what we're going to do, right? So what kind of excited you about that? What were some maybe some challenges that you had early on that uh, you, you had to really adapt to that were going to be different than maybe the Ontario model? Um, yeah, good question. Like it's, it's very, it's all the same issues. I find the the scale is is quite a bit different, but uh, you know, there's there's people that uh, that have issues with with coaches recruiting, which is something that we had issues with in, in Ontario, or or uh, you know schedules and formats and travel and all these things are kind of the the same issues that I, I would have dealt with in uh, in Ontario. I don't think you know it's different when you're when you're an executive director. We had a technical director when we were here, or when I when I got here, and, and so that wasn't my job anymore. So I was very much kind of answering emails and making sure we had enough money in the bank to pay all the bills, and and working with the board of directors on policies and, and those types of things. So I, I think the advantage that I had was I kind of had a vision for what what the role of a provincial sport organization or, or, or what is. And, and I was maybe more prepared to implement some of, some of that vision than I would have been as a starting out at Ontario volleyball. It wouldn't have been my role to, to really even have a vision at that point. Um, I don't know if I'm answering your question, but I just, uh, and the other thing that I, I, when I think back to 2014 when I came here, is it was just such a whirlwind trying to learn the job and all the different aspects of, of banking. And the, you know, I had to learn a new uh, registration system and setting up a database and, and all those things that was I'd never never done before. So it was exciting, but but uh, but very different and a, and a lot of work that just is was in some cases overwhelming for me. Nice, yeah. No, thank you for sharing that and for sharing all that you did. Uh, just looking at the clock, I know I kind of promised you an hour here, and I know you're a busy guy and a, and a family man, so we will get you out of here with this one. One thing we're making a tradition on the show is just a, a funny story that maybe volleyball provided for you that you wouldn't have experienced without being involved in our sport, because obviously at this point everybody's listened that you've you've played at the highest level, you're in administrative at the highest level, but man, something funny or odd must have happened along the way that you could give us a, a good laugh before we let you go. 
Well, this is, uh, I'll tell you a story that uh, one of the more embarrassing moments in, in my volleyball career. And it happened on a probably a Tuesday night at Ashbridge's Bay. Uh, a friend of mine who wasn't a huge volleyball player had asked me to, to be a part of his kind of four on four, six on six. Uh, it was Halifax Port and Social Club at the time, ran the, the beach leagues in uh, at Ashbridge's Bay. And, uh, and, and they were missing a player. My friend's team was missing a player, and I got there. And it was just a bunch of his work buddies that didn't know very much or hadn't played a lot of volleyball. And I was just kind of fitting in with with them. And, and we were playing, and it's maybe the second or third night in the game, or in this, sorry, third game in the night. And uh, I remember it was a bit of a it was a close game, and there was another decent player on on the other team, and and he hit a ball, and he hit it pretty hard, and he, his. Uh, he, he, he kind of looked at me and he gave me a big cheer and, and I thought it was, uh, it was a, a little bit much of uh, the celebration kind of was a bit over the top. And the very next play, I got, I got sent a nice ball and I thought, well, I'll just kind of, I'll hit this one hard and kind of show this guy who, uh, who's, who's the boss. And I, I probably hit it a little harder than I should have. And, uh, I remember there was a lady who was kind of in position six and I hit her right off the top of the head and the ball went about four courts over and I was, everybody kind of looked over to, to, to how far this ball had gone. And then I had looked back at the, the, the woman and, and kind of realized what I had done was, was you know, not a, not a cool thing. And I, as I looked back at her, she was picking up a wig off the sand and it was pretty clear that she had just kind of finished up some cancer treatment of some sort. And everybody just looked at me like horrified. And, uh, and she kind of, I remember I, I kind of caught eyes with her and, and it was about a, a really awkward kind of moment where I thought she was kind of going to yell at me and, uh, and she started laughing and everybody else started laughing and, so I got I got off the hook that nobody nobody uh, nobody got hurt. But uh, if I were to take it all back, I kind of hit my roll shot to one instead of trying to hit it hard <laughs> prove a point. Oh, that's amazing! I remember speaking to Josh Binstock and even like Sleener and some other guys that when they reach a certain age, they stop playing volleyball because I think there's just a, a hard thing about. I think we all love the sport, and but I, I think Sleener would rather go play ball hockey or do something different than volleyball, just because some of these situations do pop up time to time. Yeah, 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 they do. Yeah, I'd say I'm very much the same way with uh, with Sleen or Benstock on that one. Well, man, thanks for for joining us and sharing all that you did. I'm I'm sorry I had to start a podcast for you and I to chat again, but it was good to catch up with all that you've accomplished. And thank you for all that you've done with volleyball. I know. In an interview setting, it's easy to look back and say all the stuff you've accomplished. But uh, like I said, you definitely took some arrows and there were some tough conversations and you definitely battled. And I, I think our sport's in a, a better place because of you. So thank you for all that you've done and we'll continue to do. Well, Josh, thanks for uh, for having me on. And, and uh, I, I, you know, I, I've, I've missed you. I, I enjoyed all our conversations that we'd have in the van on the way to Waterloo for provincials. And, and uh, you know, I just want to thank you and congratulate you on a great podcast.